Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. I'm Aaron. And uh, we are back for a look at a unique episode uh, this week with uh, episode five. Yeah, I thought that this episode had some of the same kind of energy behind it as the one-shot episode uh, last season. There are things that are really just um, about like stretching the boundaries of what TV looks like. Can you tell me anything about the particular error code? Oh, yeah, I can. Um, so it's 405 method not allowed. And this is one of those ones that you'll see more as a programmer than you will as an end user, because most of the time it's encountered for like server to server communications and not when a user is using a, a website. But um, when they say method not allowed, what they're referring to is the HTTP method, which is going to be either get or post or a few other ones like um, put and patch like they're really all kinds of them um but it, it kind of means that like you tried to read something when writing was expected or you tried to write something when reading was expected and um, it's not allowed to do that oh interesting and maybe that will mean more to us as we work through the episode now you mentioned the one shot episode from last season and so last season when that was on we tried to do a bit of a unique episode for you and work through our podcast in one take, which uh, I'll tell you is not normally how we do things around here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we're on our fourth take right now, so one take is pretty generous, I'd say. <laughs> That's because of technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to try to go through this episode um, watching it live and commenting on it live. So this will be a bit of a different uh, feel than some of our usual episodes, but we're going to try to have a little fun with it, and we hope you have fun with us. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Do you want to give us a bit of a countdown so we can get the clock synchronized? I sure do. So we're going to start our video in three, two, one, go. Did you know this program is rated 14 plus and may contain mature subject matter? <laughs> I know that very well by now. Um, it kind of makes me think of the, I think, podcast podcasts that sometimes have really horrible things in them. So they'll have a disclaimer being like, this is full of terrible murder and mayhem, and you shouldn't listen to it if you're under 12. <laughs> <laughs> Childhood's very short <laughs> in the podcast world. I feel too badly to talk about any of the recap uh, because of the, the strong feelings um, that last week's episode really brought out in viewers. It was a surprisingly polarizing episode, too. It really did highlight, though, I think the engagement of fans of this show um, and how much people have come to care about the different characters um, and their stories. And I, I mean, I think that's the power of good storytelling. So at least there's that you know, for everyone who's sad. <laughs> yeah. And we should also call back a little bit to the um, really awesome interview that we had with Martin Wallstrom to talk about the last episode. It kind of helps put this one into perspective. Yes. Yeah, so when we see Elliot pick up Terrell's locked phone and put it in his pocket and then move to honor his last wish by burning the van and all the evidence, you know, we see a continuation uh, of where we left off in the woods last week. I'm really curious how that gun is kind of come into play. I mean, it's this is Chekhov's gun. <laughs> I do uh, mention that way too much, but it's sometimes hard to overlook that. The background music here is Beethoven's Ode to Joy. It really does feel like Christmas morning, doesn't it? I mean, the Aldersons have different uh, traditions 
you know, than maybe a lot of families, <laughs> you know, gathering around a toasty van fire. It's only a little more strange than our traditions. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, maybe they'll sing that Swedish Christmas song. <laughs> Darlene spots the huge fire off in the distance, and, uh, you know, that's how she knows where to find her brother. I can definitely imagine that she just thinks, oh, that must have been Elliot. Yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> She comes upon the blazing van and doesn't automatically see him. That must scare her. She looks scared. And I mean, uh, they do actually make it look pretty scary in her in her defense. Carly Chaikin, I think, is really exceptional in this episode. I think that um, she's always been really talented, but especially this season, like people have been saying she's doing an especially good job. I would agree with that. She lets Elliot into the car when he raps on the window and then she starts to slowly drive away. <laughs> and she knows better than to ask what the fire is about. Yeah, I guess at some point you don't want to know. As they're driving down this sort of, I guess, looks like a small-ish country road, um, there's some kind of closed-circuit camera uh, above the traffic light so this is Chekhov's CCTV. <laughs> I guess they're trying to tell you that maybe Dark Army even was aware of um, what happened in that van. So we didn't mention what um, a bit of dialogue there was that Darlene had. That's one of only two sets of dialogue in this whole episode. And um, the way that it's structured is another reference to 1116. The first sentence says 11 letters. The second sentence says 16 letters. Oh, good catch. We're at Krista's house now. She's got a huge house for New York. I really like all the decorations, too. It's nice to see her kind of like uh, happy, especially compared to how we saw her with Michael Hansen. I feel like in this show, happiness has to be taken away from you. So it's nice to see her temporarily happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, the gun emoji is very ominous foreshadowing here. You were saying that the gun emoji doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. After... Um, uh, a particularly notorious mass shooting. It was changed to a, a water pistol. But um, they're correct to use the handgun emoji here because at the time in universe, they still were using the old versions. Krista is planning a Christmas trip, their new partner, uh, to meet her family. So it sounds like a pretty big occasion. And they really are just putting like so much condensed joy in this scene that you can tell that it's all about to go downhill. <laughs> It's the only joy in the whole episode. (laughs) Except actually my joy when I see young M.A.'s name come up in the credits. Oh, is that someone you're familiar with? Young M.A. uh, is a hip-hop artist, and uh, I think listeners should check her out. Uh, She's lots of fun. So we've got Elliot back in his apartment. I kind of think that he's... um, Starting to process the emotions that he has after Tyrell's death. You thought there was a parallel to an earlier Tyrell metaphor here. Yeah, it was a metaphor that you had pointed out at the time when Joanna was cleaning um, a spot out of her dress in the first season. It was a reference to the out damn spot quote in, um, in Macbeth. So I think here, um, when Elliot's washing his hands, like it is literally and figuratively him trying to kind of wash off the blood that he sees. This scene with him crouching on the floor and you can see he's crying a bit. This really, I think, calls back to the season one scene where 
He's crying alone and asking what other people do when they get that sad. So you were saying that um, Darlene's Dolores uh, wig looks very obvious. I was I was fooled by it, but I guess that's just oh, my really? naivety. <laughs> Carly Chicken posted an Instagram video of the wig prep, and I actually think she wears a wig ordinarily in the show. So it shows you they can do a convincing. Wow! Wig. So they even have like a convincing double wig. <laughs> yeah. Um, she has a lot of wigs at her disposal for various things. <laughs> I was thinking back to the FBI hack when she had that blonde wing, blonde wig story. At Dom's apartment, she is look. She baked. She's packing up uh, cookies um, when Janice uh, ruins her Christmas. Yeah, talk about having to work on Christmas. Yeah, she's probably not getting time and a half for this, by the way. <laughs> Janice wants Dom to follow up on uh, the obvious public blazing van. It's scary to think about how those storylines are going to start to reconnect again. Oh, I feel like the Dom lean people are going to be super sad. Yeah, I guess you're going to be sad no matter which way that turns out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did Dom buy those cookies? She's kind of like that person who goes to a potluck and brings Oreos. Yeah, or chips and salsa. We have enough chips but and she salsa. Wishes, yeah. <laughs> she wishes she had time to make real cookies. No, hummus on the other hand, you can't have, uh, can't have enough hummus. All right. Look at Price in the restaurant. Look how small and diminished he looks in that first frame um, when he finds out that Terrell's not coming to the meeting. Do you think that he knows what that means? Is that just business code for has perished in a violent incident in the woods? <laughs> it's actually a new acronym, yeah. <laughs> that waiter is uh, is mad about working on Christmas. He's just really efficient, I thought. Oh, I thought, oh, he's not getting time in half <laughs> either. But it's not a bill, it's a scavenger hunt. Do you remember when they were using the red wheelbarrow, um, like pamphlets or whatever, as code? I guess this is just something that they like to do. Oh, I love those things. <laughs> uh, let's go back to Darlene. Um, this is her version of business casual. Darlene is preparing for probably the most intense social engineering hack that she's ever carrying out. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, and um, the stakes are so much higher here than at some of the hacks that she's been in in the past. She's got to get past a couple of security guards at this building who, it's Christmas, it's totally empty, so there's no one else really to take focus away from her. We've got Elliot uh, working on the car. I really like their teamwork in this episode. It's uh, it's really like choreographed very well because you can tell that um, everything had to really fall into place for it to work as well as it did. It also shows really that they can set their conflict and differences aside for the greater goal here. Yeah, I guess this is a pretty tumultuous time for them. The security guard is watching Die Hard, a Christmas classic. I think this is pretty ingenious. Do you think her badge is meant to not work? 
Um, having like had a moment to think about this scene, I think that it probably is planned to give Elliot time to get in. But I thought that um, when I was first watching it, that her plan was starting to unravel before it even really had a time to start. I thought that too. So at first I feel anxious and then I think, oh, is this sort of the Benjamin Franklin effect where she wants him to help her so that he likes her and wants to continue to help her? I feel like Elliot has really leveled up his cardio uh, this season. Yeah, the sheer athleticism in these next few moments for him are uh, quite extraordinary. Especially given that he's like just smoked a cigarette. So Yeah, so what's with the smoking? Do you think that that's like um, something that they're doing deliberately here? Because I think we've seen him smoke before. I don't know if we have, or maybe intermittently, and maybe that'll be a cue about one of the altars later, or maybe it's just to show what a stressful... A difficult situation so way back in the day when people were executed by firing squad they used to offer you a last cigarette before they shot you oh shoot and i think that there was actually gunshots as a subtitle from die hard as you were smoking that oh so maybe maybe it's just uh, just a real ominous sign he is really booking it through these hallways at least he's not hurling himself into the walls this time <laughs> this is um one of the sequences that people have called out as being especially beautiful in this episode when he's running down the uh, colorful staircases i don't think i knew that nitrile gloves came in black <laughs> me either i thought they came in terrell blue terrell blue and elliot black he's through the first locked door and now in it looks like I guess some kind of observation room. I kind of wondered why nobody else was in there or what the purpose of it was, if it was just going to be empty. Well, I guess it's Christmas, right? So nobody's at work because it looks like there's like a table and it might be a lunchroom. Oh, that makes sense. Like for the guards. We're back to Darlene. She's buffing up her cell phone and setting it on the counter at first i think she's left it accidentally <laughs> you're just really not giving her very much credit in this uh, sequence are you i think it's more though that it's i mean she's under so much pressure i mean anyone could make a mistake mm -hmm. you know in just given the intensity of the situation which they have really pre-planned well for because she shows up in the employee registry when the security guard goes to verify her identity yeah, well, I guess Elliot was running so fast because he had to go hack into their employee database and add um, Dolores Hayes before he would actually try and look it up in the system. I think part of it, too, is now they realize there are surveillance cameras, and so he's got a bit of a task in terms of managing that before the guards just view everything. Oh, Darlene's getting called back for her forgotten phone. <laughs> This felt like something out of Mission Impossible, to be honest. I guess we'll see a bit more of that as that, uh, as that develops. I wish I had had a Fitbit on so I could have seen my heart rate go up and down as I watched the episode. <laughs> if you had an Apple Watch, it would probably tell you to go to a doctor. Oh my god, in the White Rose backstory episode, all the ads were for Apple Watches. <laughs> Darlene's in the elevator, so success. But of course, there's a camera in that elevator as well. 
sometimes when I'm um, like walking my dog and coming back into my condo through the elevator, I like wave goodnight to the person through the security camera. <laughs> I like to think they can see it. Our elevator is mirrored, so I pretend they're not there and I check my hair and makeup. <laughs> oh, the guard realizes his display is down. They've got 40 minutes or they need 40 minutes to do the job they're going to do. I wondered why they chose 40 minutes in particular, although it is convenient that that's the exact length of the TV episode. <laughs> I thought it was the firmware upgrade indicates that that's how long it's going to take. Oh, I get it. That makes sense. Darlene peels the front of her phone off and stashes it, um, preserving that fingerprint. She's sweating a little bit, but she's really keeping her cool when Elliot meets her in the elevator. I think one of the floors said Craftworks. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's going to come up later, but I also read that it was a reference to a musician who made music that was in the last episode. Oh, if you don't know Craftwork, you would like Craftwork. What's it like? Um, German ambient 90s-ish stuff. Oh, it does sound like something I would like. <laughs> yeah, you'd like it. So they're coming down now, to this uh, 3D printing area. My initial thought was they're at the Maker Lab at the public library. <laughs> that would be good use of a public library. I gotta give them that. It's true, although this space is a really pretty neat and they have all kinds of i don't know i don't really understand the process that she does to preserve the fingerprint um but it's all pretty pretty ingenious yeah i, I was thinking about this because the show is always supposed to be so technically accurate i kind of glossed over how they hack the cameras and like how he hacks his way into this room because those aren't things that i really completely understand myself but um on the subreddit, people were talking about this and asking if it was reasonable to actually like make a clone of somebody's finger um, with a 3D printer. And I didn't believe it at all. Like I was thinking that it wasn't realistic. And in the comments, people are like, oh, it's not realistic at all because it would actually take an hour to do that. But yeah, you, you can do it easily. <laughs> It's interesting to think about how much is possible given tools that are relatively accessible and affordable to, you know, even institutions like public libraries. Or you can get a small 3D printer for home now. Yeah, I have a meeting to get into that, actually. What would you make with it? Cases for my dozen of Raspberry Pis. Oh, clever. <laughs> I think that's all that anybody uses them for, to be honest. Uh, I have seen people make... Um, little models out of them and that is all i don't think we really understand the potential of their use yet <laughs> <laughs> this is again that overhead shot you were mentioning and this is also at the e-court building so it's um the one that uh, was featured in that one take episode with the round shape and the big pillars this reminds me a little bit of the roman Colosseum, where people uh basically went to die oh yeah Philip Price, I think this is a real moment of reckoning for him where, I mean, this will probably be the last time he's at E-Corp. You know, what has his life amounted to? And then the sad trombone plays. Oh, the sad trombone plays. They should have actually it would have been too on the nose maybe to play uh, What a Wonderful World. 
<laughs> Even though it's Christmas. Um, again, in these, Price always looks sort of small in the frames and, and uncentered. So he doesn't get that position of power, I think, that he often occupies. But he is here on step one of the scavenger hunt. And when he goes to give the trombone player $20, uh, Price, oh, I guess we knew he carried cash from the Prada shoes incident. Oh, yeah, although it's been a while since then. He receives a dry cleaning slip. Uh, this is a real demotion, you know, if he's picking up dry cleaning. <laughs> yeah, he probably has never picked up his own dry cleaning before. I bet he doesn't know what a dry cleaner is. More suspenseful music, say the captions. <laughs> Elliot and Darlene are still in the lab. They're making good progress on this mold. I wonder if there were less complicated ways to do this. That's a good question. Maybe some of the listeners will know. Back at the um, site of the Yule van fire, uh, they're packing up... I guess the body of the Dark Army operative? Yeah, it's pretty gross. Dom, on a beautiful Christmas morning, uh, is walking around the scene and observing the burnt-out van. She's got such a nice jacket. I know, I envied her red coat a little bit. The, I have to admit, I find the recurrence of um, this song a little bit irritating. Me too, yeah. And also because the episode has no dialogue, like the only dialogue comes from that song. So it is really in your face. I also, I have to assume if there are some of the only words in the episode that maybe they have some significance uh, or it's just a big joke. I mean, you know, maybe it's a moment of levity. Um, I guess it's, uh, it's all about the bass. <laughs> I'm going to need to think about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ponder it. Dom notices Dark Army CCTV. This is not going to lead to anything good. Even she can tell that right now. Ominous music. You really have such a, a much better experience when you watch with the closed captioning on. I agree because I'm a person, a hearing person, and I still prefer to watch TV hearing it and with the captions on. One thing I really hate is when they have, like, almost spoilers in the closed captions, is to read them before you actually see it. Dom drives a Ford Taurus, which is a car that is very her, but is 20 years too old for her. <laughs> Darlene and Elliot are, they've got the fingerprint, they're out of the elevator, they get through another locked door. I like how we can see him use his lockpicking skills again. He's, he's fast. It's too bad we didn't end up going to the lockpicking village at DEFCON this year, did we? Well, there's always next year. Now, what's this room that they're in? They are laminating something? I thought that they had, like, their own card printer there. I wasn't really sure how to interpret that. We're at the, I guess it's Pikes Hollow, is the small town police station where Dom has now established... Uh, her base trying to work through this investigation with local law enforcement. 
is that what Dawn was going to wear to Christmas? She's dressed like head to toe all in black. <laughs> That's what I'm planning to do. <laughs> yeah, but you do that every year. <laughs> local cup working away we hear that song again <laughs> but she doesn't know where it's coming from i wonder if there were any cameos in the people who are working there i wondered that too but there was no one that i recognized She finds the phone in a donut box, which must seem peculiar to her. I was thinking it must be so sticky. That would really upset my OCD sensibilities. Yeah, because it's not like you can wash that phone. I guess it must not be her phone, or is it her phone? I think that it's her phone because they're kind of targeting her for the sack that uh, they just pulled off. Are you surprised to find that Dom can pull off a hack? I think that she probably um, had some good instructions. And she must have experience with this kind of thing from her job. So maybe it's not really that surprising. This is one character who always surprises me with what she knows. So initially I was surprised, but then I thought, oh, of course she can. Probably in five languages. I always forget exactly which one's which, but there are these two devices called um, a Wi-Fi pineapple and a land turtle, which are companies made by Hack5. Um, who also made the rubber zaki that was featured in um, season two, I guess. So it's basically like a cable that you plug into the computer that looks like something else, but it actually plugs into the router and opens up um, like a remote access tool. So um, I'm not exactly sure if that's what they're using here, but it's another one of those cases where it's a device that you can get in the real world. Oh, interesting. Dom is flagging for Janice that now they have access to the local police network and they should be watching for, I guess it's a red light camera, what I've been calling Dark Army CCTV. It's a red light camera. They're going to watch for any um, images that come through. Aw, Dom's crying beside her store-bought cookies. Huh? It's Christmas. What a ever. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Would she get a text from? Oh, it's a message, an email from a fellow agent saying that they are in fact releasing um, someone they were interviewing a couple of episodes ago. I guess that's why they put him in that uh, recap at the beginning. And his expertise was helping people disappear, wasn't it? Yeah, I feel like that's really going to come up sometime soon. Well, in fact... You had a theory, I can't remember if we talked about it offline or not, that Dom might take advantage of his expertise. I could imagine that, because Dom is really in a bind right now in a place that she doesn't want to see herself in. Um, I think that uh, I'm always making comparisons to Breaking Bad. Something like that kind of plays out in that series, too. But you can see how much more complicated it is when you remember that she has... Um, all of these other family relationships built up and it would mean um, maybe putting them in danger or needing to somehow accommodate for that and keep them safe too. 
Speaking of families, Krista's decided to blow hers off until tomorrow, I guess. So they're having a cozy Christmas for two. And she is just, she looks so happy. She's out shopping for some things. She's passed by a young M.A. who, um, you know, I have some suspicions about uh, her employer. Sorry, what do you mean? Oh, that I think it's um, Vera's new tracker. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, because, uh, of course, he brutally terminated um, the last guy he had on the job. Yeah, I guess we can still remember that. The fingerprint works. Darlene and Elliot, I think, are in the... It's like a video game. They're in, like, the final chamber where the big fight happens. It feels a lot like Metal Gear Solid. Does it? Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever play that? No, I never played anything. (laughs) All we had was Pong. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not quite that old. Now, what are they trying to accomplish in this room? So this is like, um, it's, I guess you could call it like their data center or their server room where they have um, the computers and the data that run their business. Oftentimes, this won't physically be in the building anymore with the move to hosting things in the cloud. But the cloud is still just someone else's computer and those data centers will also look a lot like this. Um, For security purposes, these surfers don't allow you to plug in random USB devices because that could be an attack vector. So they normally have an inbuilt keyboard and mouse that you can use. The security guard notices that in the elevator, certain things are um, kind of ajar and he's starting to wonder about that yeah that was sloppy of them but it was also nice that the guy caught it to be honest i think that oftentimes the security guards and stuff aren't really given the right amounts of credit (laughs) well or probably not even training necessarily to sort of be on the alert for tiny things like that this guy must really care about his job (laughs) right (laughs) So he's sort of, you know, getting warmer, getting warmer. But he can't quite figure out what he thinks is off. But he's going to pull up something on his phone to help him figure it out. So he's looking at who accessed that room today. Oh, and surprise, it was him. <laughs> this is just like the phone call is coming from inside the house moments. The fingerprint is coming from inside your hand. <laughs> that was terrible. Um, the other guard is picked up on Die Hard. Gets a text from his coworker, Asking him to call the cops because someone has accessed the server room and compromised it. No, I don't condone snitching, but I think that it is proper behavior that he would alert the cops before going in by himself. <laughs> Yeah, I think the term is concierge security, where they're not supposed to directly intervene or chase you or probably aren't armed or anything. Um, they're there to really alert the police in case of a, an issue. And so that's that's exactly what he does. Suspenseful music again. Oh, is he inside the room now? Yeah. Uh, like I can feel my blood pressure going up just watching. So many of the um, scenes in season four have kind of had horror tropes in them, I feel. 
And um, this one where they're, they're walking in this like narrow enclosed area and trying to stay hidden. It almost seems like it could be from like a zombie movie. <laughs> it's definitely a feeling that they're being hunted. Imagine if this was in the Jurassic Park. Oh, <gasps> maybe that's what it reminds <laughs> me of. So you exist in my He's just kind of taking a taking a gander. And he just misses Elliot. What a relief. Um, I was told once if you're carrying out a social engineering exercise, um, that once you get access to the space, you should hang out for about 20 minutes to let your adrenaline subside and your heart rate slow down. And so you can basically act and think like a normal person again. But these two haven't had any of that time. And they only have one minute left until the cameras come back on. I like how um, expressive they can be without having dialogue in these moments of tension. It's amazing how you almost don't notice it. And the other thing I found I didn't notice for quite some time is that Mr. Robot's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, which is surprising because normally Robot is one of the people who would be providing him with like good help during these hacks. When we think back to Steel Mountain, it was really Mr. Robot's assistance that made it all possible. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it means that he's not there. I mean, he has been kind of a key narrator this season, um, so I am a bit surprised. How do you think? Oh, what's this thing this guy notices? It's, Their time's up. Yeah, so now that the um, the, the camera hack uh, has run out of time, instead he focuses on the programmable lights. That's a good pivot. I've kind of wondered how this would be possible in real life, because everybody has, like, the... Um, Buck Show is going to drop a brand name, but they're not sponsoring us, so they'll just say smart light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know a lot of facilities are not that new like a lot of facilities do not have lights on timers or sophisticated controls so it's kind of gambles on the fact that it is a new and sophisticated facility well i was also just saying that they tend not to allow outside peripherals plug into the computers because they know it's a secure environment so it seems a little uncharacteristic that they would use devices like that inside the uh, inside a security facility um the term they normally use is air gaps which is when like there isn't any kind of connection that you can open up to the device um aside from like having a physical cable plug into it so i would imagine that in a real uh, data center all of the lights are going to be just like plain cords and not have any kind of uh, wi-fi connectivity part of me thought they'd do this hack because of course it's the morning it's a bright sunny day outside and so this is one way to give us a super dark spooky experience while he's searching for them with his flashlight and when he does shine the light on them, um, there's such a moment of tension where you wonder if they can be seen. Mm, somehow they aren't. And so he turns around and continues to check the other side of the room. <laughs> if it was Jurassic Park, it would be because their vision's based on movement. It would be. And you'd hear a little screech, <laughs> a little a little raptor scream. Okay, they're done. They're booking it out of there. And he hears them. 
So the zip tie, I like it because the zip tie is just such like a, a humble but so effective tool to have. I can see why he would have that in um, his hacker bag. Um, but this actually does show you that they've been caught in a way. Like they are alerted to the fact that there's a problem. Absolutely. So there's only a very small window of time now before things really blow up. They almost run right into the second guard trying to get onto the elevator and they catch it just in time and begin running down these stairs. And this is another stunning shot of these bright colored stairs and the two of them just running for their lives. I wonder how hard it was to find a staircase that had like a triangular shape. I know. <laughs> oh, when they get to the lobby, the cops have beat them to it. This is a scene that I really um, had a lot of impact for me because they're going to try a couple of different things, but ultimately Elliot chooses to potentially sacrifice himself so that Darlene can get away, which was something he had been talking about when they were back in the woods on that dark night. Yeah, I guess he's not such an asshole after all. Well, this particular piece of behavior, you know, is uh, <laughs> is quite redemptive. So, Unless you're oh, the security guard, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Darlene looks so scared. Because she knows what's going to have to happen when Elliot takes off running through the lobby and out through the line of police. So when they were recording this, uh, well, there are several shots of him um, running through downtown New York. Apparently, they can't actually just completely close off these streets because of how busy they are. So there were a lot of um, interactions with the public, notably... Um, Monica Lewinsky got terrified by the scene where actually I guess that will come up later, but a scene involving like a car chase and um, also a bystander tried to stop um, uh, at the time. It was Elliot's stunt actor um, because they thought he was like a real robber or something. Well, he's doing this like one man black block at top speed down a public street. So it's so you always think that the scene is totally um, set off and controlled. So it's so kind of, it's almost funny in a way to think about, oh, how does the the real city, you know, the public kind of go about their daily lives with these movies being filmed right in the middle of them? <laughs> They're filming a superhero movie down the street from me right now, actually. It's pretty funny. Darlene takes off her first wig. Imagine if she just had like another third and fourth wig under there. I like to think she does, actually. <laughs> Uh, so when he runs into the carriage that's full of cans, this um, it just screams uh, speed to me immediately. I was kind of surprised here that you hadn't heard that because it's such like a cheesy masterpiece. Yeah, so it just exposed that I have never seen the movie Speed. So maybe maybe once we get to 500 followers, I'll watch it. Maybe <laughs> that's what I'll do. I'll give my I'll give a special report back on the bus that wouldn't slow down. <laughs> I feel like Speed was like. It wasn't only a thing, but it was also a time. And maybe if you watched it now, it wouldn't have the same significance as like being a weird 90s movie. Although, I mean, you're, you know, you probably know a lot more about weird 90s movies than I do, but it just probably didn't age in a good way. <laughs> well, there's one way to find out. Uh, Elliot still running the New York Marathon here. The cops are keeping pretty good pace with him. I'm kind of surprised he, he hasn't got taste yet, considering it's New York. 
they're not that close to him. He just reverse rockied it down that flight of stairs. Like they've got some running to do to catch him. Darlene's still in the building and she's kind of reinvented herself. I think it's interesting how in this case, like her deception is her actual appearance. <laughs> do you think those are her real workout clothes? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But um, I, I think that she does play the part pretty well. I think she really does. I can't think that Darlene works out in a gym. She hasn't even been doing the ballet in a long time, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. We kind of see this part in slow motion, which really highlights how terrifying it must be to just walk out with your face uncovered as slowly as you can, trying to act naturally. And that's kind of... A counterpoint to Elliot, who's still running at top speed through the city. It would really suck if you were just there to work out, actually, and then there was, like, a police incident. The music playing um, when Elliot gets to the skating rink, uh, it's Josh Groban. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, singing Ave Maria, which is, that's a travesty, but it's a funny joke. I like it. Well, doesn't that tie back to season one? Exactly. Yeah, nice. Another season one uh, reference. Uh, Elliot <laughs> can't skate, I guess. He's about uh, he's as graceful trying. as I am skating. <laughs> now he's sort of running. It looks like the edge of a ravine. It doesn't really look like the city anymore. It just, it well, it looks like woods. Ooh, that fall must have hurt. All of the ways that he gets hurt seem kind of slapstick. And I wonder if um, combined with like this chase scene through New York, if it's like a Home Alone reference that they're continuing to make. Oh, maybe just because he keeps getting hurt over and over (laughs) in these ridiculous ways. That's a good catch. I could believe that. He's going to hop on the bus. Oh, there's an ad, an E-Corp ad with Terrell Wellick on the side. Oh, I didn't notice that. I think that, like, banking your escape on public transit is probably pretty risky. I remember in Toronto, um, somebody jumped out of, like, a second-story courthouse window, and um, they tried to escape by, like, waiting for a streetcar, but it was late, so they got caught. (laughs) There's so much irony in all of that. Um, Now, Darlene's safely out of the building no one notices her. She's headed back to, again, I think it's her car now. <laughs> but I wonder, is she going to try to track Elliot? Did we mention in that episode that this might not even be Drunk Santa's car? Like, this is just some random person's car that she's taken now? Yeah, this is just the car that she stole off the sidewalk, I think. Which also is a ticking time bomb, right? Because... uh you know, a stolen car will be reported and potentially the police will look for it. Yeah, and that also just means that they can kind of be pulled over for any reason. Exactly. They're at high risk of that. The people on the bus, are they a live nativity scene? (laughs) Um, I think so. The cops are stopping the bus. They're blocking the road. Elliot smashes through the back doors and takes off running. <laughs> this is a little bit like speed too, actually. Oh yeah? Oh. <laughs> They're back to the foot chase. 
it's amazing. Every time he gets hurt, you think nothing, what more could possibly happen to this guy today? And then something even worse than that happens. And he really gets slammed by that car. That probably would have been pretty scary to see as a bystander. <laughs> well, and even as the driver, I'm sure he thinks he's killed him. But no, he's down. But he gets like a standing <laughs> eight count here. And he's up. All right. Still in the fight. You can tell that he's okay because his shoes stay on. I heard that's how you can tell when it's really bad. Oh, really? It's just a joke, but yeah. Here's, um, here's another season one callback um, back to where we think Mr. Robots pushed him over a ledge, but it turns out that he's chosen to go over the ledge, and that's the decision that Elian makes one more time. Well, I guess like the third if you consider that window. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's always throwing himself off of things. I guess that's how he's so good at it by now. I mean, none of them have killed him, which is a pretty impressive feat. Because this, this is a big drop. And you know what's amazing? Darlene is right there on the other side. Oh, because she attracts his location, obviously. Man, what a great getaway driver. That was an immensely useful hack. Yeah. <laughs> Remember in a previous episode where they talked about when Elliot was young uh, and he would have, I guess they call them his episodes, he would squeeze her hand to remind himself um, that he was real and that things were okay, and he does that now. Oh, I didn't think about that. It is a really nice um, shot, though. And especially considering, like, what they've just went through together, I can imagine that uh, it's pretty stressful and intense for them right now. Well, because they've made it over this hurdle, but they must know that they're very far from being in the clear. Speaking of people who are not in the clear. Price has learned what a dry cleaner is and retrieved a suit. <laughs> And there's a secret message in the pocket. I want to run a scavenger hunt like this. I just think this is delightful. It's kind of like an escape room, actually. Oh, yeah, it kind of is. So this, he gets a card. Um, I think the inference is this is the time and location of the Deus group meeting that night. So Wellick or not, looks like they're on. He tells Elliot that the meeting is a go. I wonder if the other Deus people know about Tyrell. I imagine they would just because they know everything, right? Except can you think that... I don't think they would go if they thought there was no replacement. I think that that will be a surprise. I guess, yeah, that'll probably be a bit of uh, drama coming up later. Christmas at the De Piero's looks very wholesome. I like it, yeah. This actually makes me kind of want to decorate my own house. Do it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I make myself wait till December 1st, but I don't want to. Decorating is <laughs> a great joy. Dom's out walking the dog. She seems like a dog person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She sees a white fan. 
And that's like the kind of dog I would expect her to have to. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. Look at those. Those are beautiful homes. No wonder I guess people live in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, strange to think that she's actually in New Jersey sometimes. I forget in T-neck. Although I guess that's... Um, we as Canadians don't really understand that states can be small and like right next to each other. No, because our provinces are mostly enormous and very far apart. And half of them, we don't actually even know where the boundaries are. That's a fact about Canada. I'm not even joking. Dom sees a dark army van. She records the information from it. Uh, she goes back to try to enjoy some of a holiday with her family. It seems like maybe she's getting a bit of the silent treatment from her mom. Well, I think that's just how the episode. Really? I think she seems mad. <laughs> um, it is weird to see her be quiet like this. So I guess you could interpret it that way. Um, she seemed to me like she was kind of distracted. And I was wondering, like, what they what kind of like family traditions they have. Although, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about what you said more, maybe they're upset because um, presumably like they kind of got snubbed on Christmas if um, John had ran off to do the investigation. Well, she didn't show up Christmas Eve. She, you know, had to go investigate all morning. So she's missed a lot of their traditions and she's going to miss more because they did catch an image of Darlene and Elliot on that camera and she's being asked to follow up. Now we're back to Chris down the street. She's just opening the door to her home when it looks like she hears something behind her. The woman in the red coat. Um, when she drops the um, food that she was carrying, like... It wasn't as obvious as the oranges from The Godfather, but it made me think that it was like some kind of negative setup for her character. Is that Ben and Jerry's? Oh, yeah, it what is. What flavor? She's got good taste. I really want to get a good look at that now. Yeah, I'd like to know what flavor of ice cream she would pick. Ooh, there's someone way worse than grocery store stalker waiting for her. And he says the other bit of dialogue in this episode, which is, uh, it's time we talked. So what do you think that means? Well, so I guess this is the escalation of that storyline where Vera believes that Krista has some insight into Elliot and certainly at least knows where to find him, has some relationship with him. So he's looking at her as a source of information. And I think that makes us all hopeful uh, that he won't harm her but I think it's going to be a bit of a rough ride for that character uh, next episode. That's a good way to put it. I think that with Vera, there's a bit of like a balance because um, he wants to have Elliot's sort of superpowers, but he doesn't think that he can do that by coercing him. So I really hope that that means that Chris is in the clear, but they're really setting up at least her partner for um, some <laughs> violence to happen to them, unfortunately. Um I kind of wonder how is Vera going to interact with the storyline as far as um, like the White Rose and Tyrell stuff that's going on. Because kind of like uh, Dom and um, Darlene and Elliot had had these separate storylines that were starting to intersect. I wonder how Vera is going to get tied up into this by way of Krista. And that's an interesting question that you have because I think it's too late in the series and maybe even in the season to introduce 
sort of a separate villainous arc. I think, especially given that they're paring down the number of characters week by week, I think all things need to drive towards a single story and a single big resolution. And I could be wrong about that, but that seems to me how it's shaping up. So I haven't figured out the tie-in yet, but I bet it will be shocking when we see it. Can I give you a bit of a theory that I've been reading about in Suna? Yes, yes, you can. I think that maybe um, Vera will kind of like work with Elliot in some kind of like arrangements where he does whatever Vera wants and then Vera will help him against White Rose because he already kind of like um, he had like trades like that that he would do in the first season with Vera. And um, that's something that they've kind of established that they're willing to do before. And then it would also be a way for Vera to be involved in the White Rose storyline. but not in a way that's um, confrontational to Elliot. Instead, it would be against White Rose. Oh, I like that. I mean, if they can strike a sort of unholy alliance, as they have done before, to try to meet some mutual goal, I could see that being how this plays out. Because, of course, Vera, you know, for all of his evil deeds, has access to... uh, uh, What do they call it in The Simpsons? A... Mafia crime syndicate? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) So, Well, he's got access to people. He knows how things work. Um, He knows how the underground economy operates. Things that Elliot and Darlene might not necessarily have as much access to. So, I mean, maybe he is an asset to them. And again, you know, and you pointed this out a few times in the show, no one ever gets to be wholly good or wholly bad. So maybe this is where Vera redeems himself. Yeah, I feel like he needs to do a lot at this point, but maybe that's what we'll see. Like an awful lot. That Shayla thing, we don't forget that. (laughs) All right, so I think we're at the end of our episode. I think so, too. Uh, Good job on this live recording. That was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you for um, coming along on this experiment with us. We'll be back uh, with a regular episode next week. It's at an earlier time, uh, just for anyone who's watching it live uh, to accommodate the People's Choice Awards. We'll be back with episode six. Thank you for listening to Mr. Rewatch. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. Bonsoir. <laughs>